Hey, happy Thanksgiving, even though Thanksgiving is over with, and it is Christmas. Let's go. Is that, who, who has decorated their house? It's Christmas time. Let's go. Who decorated their, uh, this is not to shame you, but who, <laughs> who decorated your house before Thanksgiving? Yeah, that's a good, people are like, I don't want to show. Ooh, it's me. I'm good. Um, you didn't want to raise your hand. Anyways, it's funny. We, we, we proudly decorated our house a week before Thanksgiving, so there's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, anyways, I hope you had a, an awesome Thanksgiving. We sure did at our house, uh, or our, our, our family, I should say, this year. Uh, we split Thanksgiving. We went to Sam's parents in Laga Vista uh, for, for the morning, and then we were with my family in the evening, and that was fun. Uh, Ellie was super overwhelmed, <laughs> uh, but it was, it was fun. But something special this year for us is that my grandma was here. Uh, she was here for my ordination last week, uh, and then she spent the week with us, uh, and uh, she's in the back. Woo, grandma, yeah, raise your hand, yeah. Let's celebrate, yeah. Um, I, I haven't spent Thanksgiving with my grandma in seven years uh, because we moved here. And she lives still up in Illinois, so there's been some time, and I haven't seen her face-to-face in three years because of COVID, so uh, is there just a really sweet time. Uh, but I, I want to start this morning off with a question, and the question is this, how would you respond if a famous person showed up to your Thanksgiving? How would you respond if a famous person showed up to your Thanksgiving? Uh, and, and this isn't in your mind when you're, because this, this is a hypothetical question. This is make believe. This is fantasy land. Okay, so so imagine somebody that you actually take interest in. This isn't just any famous person, but somebody that you actually like. Okay, they show up to your Thanksgiving. How would you respond? I think we would respond in several different ways. I think we would clean our house like it's never been cleaned before. Right? We would do that. Uh, I think that we would threaten our kids to be on best behavior while they are here. Uh, we would uninvite our weird uncle because we know that our weird uncle is going to try to talk to them and we can't have that happen. Uh, they must uh, have a good time at our house. Uh, you're going to throw away the, the store-bought pie. Nothing's wrong with that, but it doesn't beat grandma's pie. So you're going to throw out that pie. You're going to go wake up grandma. We got work to do. We got to make some pies, right? We got to leave a good impression in full bellies. You would probably maybe change your outfit a couple times just because you want to look good. Uh, also, you would probably be, be very calculated in everything that goes on the whole time. You would watch what you say because you don't want to say anything silly or weird, but then you don't say anything at all and you're just staring at them weirdly and they're just, everything's awkward, okay? Everything. Your anxiety's through the roof, but it is a time. But all of us, no, no matter what, if you're just like, ah, oh, it's no big deal, or you're just like freaking out, all of us would have something in common. We have to get a picture, right? We have to document that this actually happened, right? We're, so we're going to get a picture. We're going to make it our profile picture. Look at my new best friend, right? Like that's what we would do. And that's all fun to think about. And because, you know, we, we think like, ah, yeah, that's, that's fun. But that would, that would never happen. Well, I want to share this morning that it, it did happen one time. It happened in Scripture. And we're going to look at a story where this scenario actually played 
out. You can turn to your Bibles to Luke 19. That's where we're going to be headed this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. Now, when you get there, you're going to look at the passage and you're like, oh man, I, I know this story. We've, we've heard this a gazillion times, but I want, to, I want to tell you this morning that the Lord is going to speak this morning through this story. I believe it. And so we get into the story. There's a famous man that's traveling around. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And he's going and he's healing people. He's teaching about the kingdom of heaven. He's doing amazing things. And people are wondering who this guy is. Is he just a healer? Is he a teacher? Is he a prophet? Is he for the Jews? Is he the Messiah? Who is it? The the Gentiles are thinking, is he a God? What is going on? Who is this man? So there are great crowds following Jesus and his disciples around. He's doing amazing things. They're all wondering who he is. And one unlikely person is about to find out. Luke's Gospel is the only place in Scripture where this story is recorded. In the Gospels, there's lots of overlap. This is unique to Luke. And I believe that the Holy Spirit preserved this story for 2,000 years to speak to us today this very thing. When Jesus shows up in your life, He will change your life if you respond well to Him. That's what He's going to communicate this morning. In this story, we will learn how Jesus shows up in our lives, and then at the end of the story, three ways we should respond when he does. So if you're ready, let's jump into verse 1. It says this, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. You know, you you may have heard of Jericho if you've been in church at all. You've heard of Jericho before because of Joshua 2, uh, Jericho's walls falling down. But in Jesus' time, Jericho was the Beverly Hills of Israel. It was tropical climates. It was the richest city all around, and high-profile people lived in Jericho. And we meet one of those high-profile people in these verses. His name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, but not only a a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. In New Testament times, tax collectors were not like our modern-day IRS, but they were truly like the mob. Okay, I want you to get this, because what they would do, how they would earn money, is they would upcharge people's taxes or just simply make up taxes. Let's say your taxes are $1,000. I'm going to upcharge your taxes to $3,000 because I want to make $2,000. And I get to keep that money. Or they're just going to make up stuff. You show up, oh, you have a new wagon, tax. New sandals, tax. Oh, a goat, tax. They would just do that. they just make things. There's no goat tax. Well, now there is. That's what they would do. And they would make their money by doing that. And if you did not pay, they would take away your business they take away your house, they throw your family in jail, or sometimes kill you. They would send Roman soldiers to your house, boom, 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 demanding money, pay up or else. That's what tax collectors did. Zacchaeus just wasn't a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector in all of Israel, 
all of the land, there were only three of those guys, and Zacchaeus was one of them. He wasn't just a tax collector. He wasn't just a part of the mob. He was a mob boss. He was a bad dude. And people knew who Zacchaeus was. He had a reputation. He was the guy running the system, and that's why he was so rich. He was dirty money. He was ripping off people and stealing their money, which is so ironic because Zacchaeus is a Hebrew name. You look at the whole context of his story, we learn that he is actually an Israelite. He is Hebrew. He is Jewish. Okay, not practicing, but through heritage. So he has a Jewish name. His Jewish name, his Hebrew name, Zacchaeus, means this, clean, innocent, pure, and righteous. Mom and dad, I think there's a disconnect. Okay, I didn't exactly live up to my name because he is unclean, he's guilty, he's impure, he's very unrighteous. But nonetheless, Zacchaeus would be seeking something or someone. Verse 3, And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was pass, about to pass that way. Zacchaeus was seeking, that's a Greek word, zeteo. Uh, if, you, if you have a highlighter or, or on your phone you can highlight it or circle or line, I want you to do that because that's going to be very important when we get to the end of this story. So make note of that. Okay, so he's seeking, uh, also means deeply desiring. So he's deeply desiring to see who Jesus was. He was not sure who Jesus is. Lots of people didn't know who Jesus was. They're trying to find out who he was. So he's up in this tree. He's seeking Jesus. But Zacchaeus had a problem. The crowd was too big and he was too small. So big, big, big question right here. How short was he? <laughs> How short was he? You know, in my mind, I was like, man, I want to know. Uh, and there's a little bit of research. Like, when I think of short, like, I think of Danny DeVito, you know? You see his Jersey Mike commercials lately? Like, that's who I think of when I think of Zacchaeus. But uh, there's a, if you look at it, uh, the word small, because it says he was small in stature. In the Greek, it means small. <laughs> um, but... Uh, but in context of how the word was used in that time, typically when it was describing people, it was used to describe children. So scholars believe that Zacchaeus was most likely the, the height of a child, so probably under five foot, which, Danny DeVito, he's 4'10", so there you go. Um, but he was short. And because of his situation and his stature, he climbed a sycamore tree, which a sycamore tree, if you've ever seen a sycamore tree, it's very broad, it's very strong, and it has low-hanging branches, which was perfect for children to climb uh, during that time, and even today if you're around sycamore trees. So in this scenario, there's a little bit more irony, okay? So not only is Zacchaeus' height childlike, but so is his behavior. So he goes and he jumps into this sycamore tree where most likely in this context there are probably already kids in it and then you see this mob boss 
jump into the sycamore tree because he wants to see Jesus too. This would have been shocking to people. To see a man of his status and who he was, it would have been shocking. To be honest, it would have been embarrassing. It would have been looked at as foolish and desperate. But Zacchaeus didn't care. His desire to see Jesus outweighed his desire to fit the norm. And so he got into that tree. And the next part is even more shocking. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, I'm, I'm assuming it's right near the tree, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Check this out. There's a crowd of people. It's swarmed. There's lots. The street is full, and he's walking with the disciples. And he looks up. Something catches his eye, or someone catches his eye. He looks up into the tree. They lock eyes, and he says, Zacchaeus. Now, if I was Zacchaeus, I would have fallen out of the tree because that would have shocked my system, right? Like, I don't, I, I want to see who this famous guy is. I want to know who he is, what's going on. And he looks at me and he says my name. We've never met before. How does he know my name? That's pretty wild. And it would have been shocking to everybody else in the crowd. There's a few reasons I believe it's so important that Jesus called Zacchaeus by name. Here's number one. Jesus called Zacchaeus by name because he knew him. Because he knew him. Like I said, they've never met before, but Jesus knew everything about Zacchaeus. He knew everything. In, in John's Gospel, Jesus was teaching about him being a shepherd and his people being his sheep. In verse 3, or uh, John 10, verse 3, it says, The sheep hear his voice, the shepherd, Jesus, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. You see, Zacchaeus was one of Jesus' sheep. Zacchaeus just didn't know it yet. But he was his sheep, and Jesus was going after his sheep. And Zacchaeus was willing and able. Jesus calling Zacchaeus by name touched the deepest desire of the human heart, not even just Zacchaeus' heart. This is the human heart, because we all desire this, to be seen and to be known. And by one word, one calling out of a name, that deepest desire was touched. And that's what Jesus did. He touched his heart and got his attention. And the thing is, is that Jesus does that today. Jesus isn't general. Jesus is very specific, and he knows you, and he knows you by name. When Jesus shows up in your life, he sees you, he knows you, and he knows your name. He's going to speak to your heart. Second thing, second reason why it's important that Jesus called him by name. Jesus called Zacchaeus by name to remind him of his identity. Remind him of his identity. You know, Zacchaeus was used to being called lots of names. You know, Jesus, when he was walking on the path, he didn't look up into the tree and say, Hey, tax collector. 
Hey, you sinner! Hey, shorty! You know? He he didn't do that. Hey, you thief! Like, Jesus did not call Zacchaeus out to bring him shame, but he called him by his name. He called him by his name because Zacchaeus, I know there's lots of things and people call you lots of things and you, you even think that these things make up who you are, but no, I'm going to cut right through all that stuff and I'm going to call you by who you are. You're Zacchaeus, you're mine. That's who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done or, or what your past is like, it, it matters who you belong to. You belong to him. And he's going to remind you of that. You belong to me. In addition to calling him by name, Jesus does something pretty radical. He says, Zacchaeus, one, two, I'm coming over to your house. <laughs> and this is, this is not a like, hey, can I come over? This is a command. I'm coming over to your house. In this context, in this time, coming over to your house meant we're, we're going to eat a meal together and I'm going to spend the night. Whoa, that's a lot. <laughs> if a, this is how we, we opened up the message this morning. If a famous person shows up to your house, how would you respond? In this, con- in this story, Jesus shows up, hey, I'm going to come over to your house and I'm going to spend the night. How would you respond? <laughs> How would you respond? I would say most of us in the room would feel a little uncomfortable for being honest. I don't know this man, and he says he's coming over and he's spending the night. <laughs> we would feel maybe uncomfortable. We would definitely feel unprepared. This was unexpected, inconvenient. This was not on the calendar, okay? So I wasn't ready for this. It was unexpected. You know, we, we do this with friends and family sometimes. When, when we're expecting company, we can get ready. We can clean the house. We can put toys away. We can, we can make, make ourselves look good, whatever we need to do, okay? We, we have time. Unexpected guests, ooh, you know? They just show up and you're like, oh, man, sorry. <laughs> like, the house is not clean, it's not ready. How many of us, because this is, this is us, and I know it's just not, not just us, how many times do, when people come, and come to your house and we say, I'm sorry the house is a mess, right? I do this with my car, okay? I give somebody a ride, and, and the car is not a mess because of Ellie, it's because of Jared. Like, the, the car is a mess, and somebody comes into the car and I'm like, I'm so sorry my car is a mess, say that a gazillion times because it's a mess. I need to clean it. Um, but that's what we do. We see that, that when people come in to our homes or our cars or whatever it might be, that we apologize. Why do we apologize? I think it's because we're embarrassed. I think we're embarrassed. At its core, we think that that, whatever it is, the house, car, whatever it might be, is a reflection of us. If that is a mess, then they're going to think that my life is a mess. And I can't have that. I have to make sure that my life is all put together and everything is squeaky clean and good. Right? That's what we 
do. And I don't, I don't know if that's, that's being authentic. And I don't know what, what has happened that we, we buy into that or whatever it might be, you know. Um, but I don't, I don't know if it's genuine. So for now on, we are not going to clean our house for a home group. It's not going to happen. <laughs> We're done. No, we want to be genuine. Mess and all, you know. Uh, I, I got an amen in the first service with that, so that was pretty funny. That's um, wild. But with all that, we do the same thing with Jesus. When Jesus shows up, and guess what? Sometimes it's not on the calendar. He'll show up in your life however he chooses to do so, and it might be inconvenient. It might be unexpected. We not, might not be ready for it, but he's going to show up. And a lot of times, our response to that is, Lord, I'm sorry my life is a mess. I'm sorry my life is a mess. Lord, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to start doing that. If you just give me some time, I'll get things together. I'll make it up to you. Let me take care of some things, and then I'll let you into my life. And Jesus says, nope. Today. Today I'm coming over. Right now, there is no time to wait or waste. Mess and all, let me in to your life. And he'll say, stop trying to fix your life. Let me in and I will do the fixing. That's what he will do. That's his job. He delights in it. But we try to make ourselves good and presentable to him. He's like, what are you doing? Stop. Let me in. And that's what Zacchaeus did. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Mess and all, the Lord Jesus wants to commune with you today. No matter where you are in your walk. No matter where where you are in your life. Jesus wants to be with you today. Don't push him away. And Zacchaeus didn't. Zacchaeus didn't turn Jesus away. He received Jesus joyfully. But the people around him were not so joyful. Verse 7. And when they saw it, when they saw this whole scenario playing out, they grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. The, the they there is the religious people. We know this because this happened in Luke 5 and many other places in the Gospels, especially when Jesus called Matthew, another tax collector, and he goes and he has dinner with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners and the religious people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, the, the scribes, all the religious people were, were mad about it. They were upset about it. They grumbled. They grumbled at it, okay? They were upset this tax collector, he's a friend of a tax collector, he's a friend of a sinner. This guy, some things don't change. Nothing has changed from, from Matthew's call to Zacchaeus' call. Nothing has changed at all. But, you know, we, we, 
We talked a little bit about the reasoning why Jesus called Zacchaeus the way that he did. I think there's another reason why he did it publicly like he did it. And I think the reason is is that he wanted to communicate to the religious people that there is no limits to his grace. There's no limits to his grace. If a mob boss can receive Jesus, then anyone can receive Jesus. Because in their society, he was the worst of the worst. They knew who Zacchaeus was. They hated him. And Jesus is going to go spend time with him at his house? He's going to stay at his house? That would have been so odd, so crazy. But Jesus was communicating a very clear message that anyone, it doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter who you are, anyone can come to Jesus. Anyone. Recently, within the last few months, there was a docuseries on Netflix. I'm not going to say it, nor am I endorsing it. However, it sparked something in our young adult ministry because they are watching it. And this, this docuseries is about you know, a serial killer that, that was going, you know, doing his thing in the, the 80s and 90s. And, but what was shocking for them was uh, supposedly he came to Christ in prison. And I was ha- for weeks, I was having young adults come to me and say, how is that possible? How is that po- How could one of the worst serial killers in all of U.S. history come to Jesus? And I looked at them and I said, listen, it's possible. Because the cross makes it possible. And I don't know the legitimacy of that man's faith. I don't know it. We'll find out someday. However, listen to me. It does not matter what you've done. It does not matter your past. Anyone can come to Jesus because the payment that was made on the cross. Anyone. And for Zacchaeus, that was true, and Jesus was making that very, very, very clear to everyone. There is no limits. No limits to his grace. And, and, to, and to be honest with you, Jesus loves that. He delights. He delights saving sinners and transforming their lives. And we see that happen in Zacchaeus' life. Between verses 7 and 8, time has passed. It's almost like a time lapse. Now they're at Zacchaeus' mansion, eating dinner. In verse 8, Zacchaeus makes a declaration. Verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord! The half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus says he's going to give half of his goods to the poor, which would have been millions of dollars. Just a fortune. Then the other half he was going to give to people he has wronged by four times. That's an awesome tax return. You know, you go to your mail and you're like, what is this? It's a check from Zacchaeus. You know, like they would have been fired up by that. Something happened at that table. Do you see the shift? There's a shift that happens between 7 and 8. 
They're at the table. They're having a conversation. What I believe happens is Jesus speaks to Zacchaeus about his sin. This is the time where he tells Zacchaeus that you have been wronging people and that you are in your sin. And the Lord Jesus does not shy away from sin or speaking about it. Quite frankly, he's very serious about it. You look at the Gospels, you read the Gospels, he, he, he addresses sin. He's not afraid to. And so he speaks to Zacchaeus about his sin. And in this conversation, Zacchaeus is left with deep conviction. Zacchaeus realized that he is a sinner and Jesus is the Savior. I want you to take notice. In the very first thing that Zacchaeus says in this declaration, he says, Behold, Lord. Behold, Lord. He was in that tree that day trying to see who Jesus was. By the time that they get to the dinner table, he's his Lord. He has surrendered his life to him. Jesus, I know who you are. You are Savior. You are Lord. Behold, out of your Lordship and what you are calling me to do, I'm going to repent and I'm going to change my life. Behold, Lord. Instead of being greedy, I'm going to be generous. Instead of being a mob boss, I'm going to be a servant of the Lord. I'm I'm done living for myself and I'm going to live for Jesus. And that is a complete change in his heart and in his life. And this change in his heart leads Jesus to make a declaration in verses 9 and 10. It says this, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Remember when, when Jesus said to, said to Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today? We see another today. Today, salvation has come to this house. See, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today because today is the day of your salvation. Okay, this is the day that you surrender yourself to me, you receive me, and everything is going to change. Your eternity changes today, Zacchaeus. This was the motive. This was the mission. We see that at the end of verse 10. He did all of this. Why? To seek and to save the lost. That is the mission statement for the Savior, Jesus. That's his mission statement. It was his mission statement when he was here on earth, and it's still his mission statement today, to seek and to save the lost. Earlier, I pointed out the seeking that Zacchaeus had, that he was seeking Jesus. Notice that seeking shows up again. Jesus says it, I came to seek and to save the lost. It's the same Greek word. It's almost Luke is bookending the story. And he's essentially saying this, Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus, but really it was Jesus seeking him the whole time. Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus because he didn't know who he was. Jesus was seeking 
Zacchaeus because he didn't know him, or he did know him and wanted him. He wanted him bad. And so he's going into Jericho with this in mind. Okay, there's crowds all around. Lots of people wanting to see what he's going to do next. And what does he do next? He looks up into a tree at a mob boss who's short. And he says, you. I want you. You see, Jesus does not pursue crowds. He pursues people. And he still pursues people today. And Jesus shows up and he pursues people in many different ways. Today, maybe it's through a conversation he shows up, through family and friends, maybe car rides, relationships, sometimes work, suffering, reading and hearing God's word, sometimes at church. For me, I was 12 years old. I was sitting in a Sunday service just like this. And I had never listened to church but this day I did. I listened to the message, and it was a clear gospel message. That night I gave my life to Jesus. Jesus called me that day. He speaks. And for the believers in the room, you can identify with that time where you said, just like Zacchaeus, I'm in. I'm in. Yes, Lord, I'm in. And, and for the believers in the room, Jesus is always with you because of the power of the Spirit inside of you. It's not like, oh, Jesus just pops up and shows up all the time. Listen, he's with you all the time. He promises that. However, there are times when Jesus has divine appointments with us because he needs to get our attention about things about our lives. He's either going to redirect you, he's going to just make his presence felt, known for his purposes. And so it happens. He shows up today. So when Jesus shows up, he will change your life if you respond well to him. So how do we respond? I believe that we have this story today through the power of the Spirit in Luke's gospel that we ought to respond like Zacchaeus. I'll show you why. Three things. Number one is this. We should respond quickly. Respond quickly. Jesus commanded quick action Immediate action, and Zacchaeus responded with quick action. He did not hesitate. There was urgency. And today, he does the same thing. He's calling you to immediate action. Quick response. Don't overthink it. Just do it, whatever it might be. For you, it might be the day of your salvation. You very well could be like Zacchaeus, sitting in your chair, and you feel the Spirit of God weighing on you. He's saying, it's time, it's time, it's time. He's calling you by name and says, today is the day of your salvation. You give your life to me today and I will change your life forever. Today, that might be you. For others, you might be just being called to repentance. There might be something in your life that you need to turn around and stop doing it and go a completely different direction. I don't know what that is. The Spirit of God will, will speak to your heart. You, it might even pop in your head. It's already there. I'm telling you, today. Deal with it today. Do it today. Do not hesitate. Do not wait. Maybe there's a relationship you need to reconcile, a person to forgive. 
Do not wait. Today, deal with it today. Respond quickly. Because if you don't do it today, chances are you will never do it. You won't. You'll overthink it. You'll make up excuses. Do it today. Respond quickly. Number two, receive joyfully. The story tells us that Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully into his house, but also into his heart. He let him in. And there was nothing else that that mattered. No money, no job, no mistakes, no sin, no stature. Nothing mattered. Only Jesus mattered. In contrast, just a chapter before, in chapter 18, we see another rich guy. And this is how Luke crafts his gospel to let us know something, to give us a compare and contrast, okay? So in Luke 18, we find somebody called the rich young ruler. We know that guy, right? Okay, so Jesus also gives him a proposition. He gives him an invitation. Listen, get rid of that stuff. It's going to kill you. It's not good for you. Follow me. Follow me. Instead of being joyful, that man turned away sad. There's a difference, okay? He held on to his riches and his things too tightly, and he was not willing to give them up. And he walked away sad, and he walked away from Jesus. Zacchaeus said, nope, I don't need any of this stuff. One of the richest mans in all the land. And he gave up everything. He says, I'm going to follow that man. I'm going to follow Jesus. Everything that I got. So this morning, what do you need to let go of so that you can receive Jesus fully this morning? Number three, repent humbly. Repent humbly. At that dinner, Zacchaeus was deeply convicted of his sin, and this led to his repentance. The rich young ruler did not repent. He turned, but he turned the wrong direction. He went back to his old life. Zacchaeus didn't. He said, I'm done with this life. I'm going to go follow Jesus with everything that I got. He completely repented. And he could have been proud. He could have been prideful and say, look at all my stuff. He said, nope. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And he did. History uh, shows us in, in several places and documents whatever happened to Zacchaeus, right? What happened to him? Well, History tells us that Zacchaeus ended up becoming a pastor in Caesarea. That's what he ended up doing for the rest of his life, is that he ended up being a pastor. He was going to serve him for the rest of his life with great purpose and meaning. He says, I'm done with this life. question for you this morning is, what do you need to repent of? And what do you need to get rid of Stop doing the working of his power in your heart so that you can fully serve him with all of your life. What do you need to do today? I don't know what you need to do. But as the, the band comes up, this is, this is what I want you to do, is I want you to respond quickly. I want you to receive joyfully and I want you to repent humbly. The Spirit of God is, is ministering to your heart. There are things that 
that's marinating. So my challenge to you is, is go do it, whatever it might be. Let's pray.